Welcome, everyone, to the 94th episode of the Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Trav, a.k.a. Ness Friend. That over there, that's Alex. Goes by Ness Drunk in some corners of the internet. And, mm. and Alex, today, I invited a third into our domicile. I hope that's okay. But I invited... What? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, too, it's my nemesis. It's my rival. My my burger-eating... Uh, you know, he's... I'm the Rocky. He's the... You know the the hot Russian dude. Uh, names escaping Dolph me. Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Drago. Drago. I thought you were gonna Drago? say like Guy Fieri or something. Uh, wouldn't that be a better Rocky Four though? If it were Rocky <laughs> versus Guy Fieri. 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 Anyway, Burger Champs here. Burger Champ, t- say hi. I must break you. <laughs> <laughs> he dies. He dies. That's right. I don't know why. Like no, no names are coming to my head just there. Uh, good thing Burger Champ doesn't go by a real name. I would have never remembered it. So yeah, yeah. Burger Champ, you're you're basically family at this point. We've hung out. We've hung out with you in the Discord for a couple years. We know you know the '90s maybe more than anyone on this planet. You have a encyclopedic noggin when it comes to most things in general. The '90s being one of those things. So welcome aboard to 1994, sir. It's good to be here. Uh, 94 was a big year for me. Uh, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. I started driving that year. Mm. Gas was like 79 cents. Jeez. What kind of car did you have? Uh, my first car was a 1980 Oldsmobile Omega. Oh, hell yeah. Dude, cruising the strip for chicks in that, I bet. Oh, yeah. What color was it? <laughs> it was like... Uh, you know, like that cop show blue, you know, oh, okay. yeah. that pale blue that looks like the clear coat burnt off of it immediately. Oh, so it's like, <laughs> like 70s cop show blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like TJ like T- Hooker blue. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is 90s, guys. You guys are dipping into the 70s oh, a little I'm bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A little bit. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, yeah. You were a sophomore in high school, which means you're probably... I mean, when I think of high, my high school years, all I really think about is the music and the clothes. Those are like the two first things that pop into my head. So what what were you listening to? What were you rocking in 94 Burger? What was your get what was your get up style? Uh there well, clothing wise, it was all Jinkos and Airwalks and chain wallets and you know Do they still make Airwalks? I don't know. I don't I don't think so. Do they even make skater I, shoes anymore? Do they even make yeah, skaters? Probably. They make skaters. I don't. I don't <laughs> know. Still skaters. But I it, remember you know. airwalks being a being a really big deal for a hot minute. Like it was, it was for all like the kids who didn't play sport. Didn't play sports. Like mm. the kids that played sports were all about like, you know, Nike stuff or uh, British Knights stuff like that. But uh, all the other kids were like, you have to have airwalks. I don't know why, but that was well, like a big deal. And that's around the time that Chuck Taylor started to like take off again. That's right. You know, yeah. Like just started to blow up. And yeah, yeah. They, they became not cheap anymore. Doc Martens got pretty big right about that time. You yep. know, I had both Chucks and Docs at the time. Me being a fledgling metalhead. Back in '94, you can get a pair of Airwalks from J.C. Penney these days for about fifty bucks if you want them. So. J.C. Penney, go J.C. Penney, wow. get you get you some Airwalks, fellas. 
Do they still make JC Pennies? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably just pairs left over from 1994. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true. Back sock. Were you rocking some flannel? Oh, for sure. Either yeah. around the waist or, mm. you know, just outright wearing it over your band t-shirt you got from Dad Zooks or, <laughs> you know, Chesking or wherever, <laughs> you know, you went shopping in the mall at that time. Now, the the mullet was still in vogue then, too. I, did you partake in mulletry? Uh, I, I just had, like, straight up mulletry. long, long hair. Well, in 94, the big thing was uh, long on the top, shaved on the sides. You right. You know, like the, the skater cut. Yeah. You know, shaved on the sides, real long on the top. Or like every wrestling tag team had that haircut, too, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the Hardy cut. Yeah, Jeff and Matt Hardy. Yeah, that was later '90s, but yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. So yeah, I feel like we got you figured out. Then I can picture you in my head. You were yeah. You- if I saw a picture of you, I'd, I'd end up getting some not quite a Pearl Jam song, not quite an Alice in Chains song, not quite a uh, Candlebox song, not quite a uh, Stone Temple Pilot song, but it'd be some amalgamation of those and just some guy going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> It's like that that is like the soundtrack of when 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 you, s- you see a picture of you in 94 like that's what people are going to hear. Oh, that's awesome. Um well, Burger, let's let's segue into music. We can hop around on this sheet that we have uh since Alex kind of went where I was going with this cuz I, you know, you, we've already kind of described you had the grunge style a bit. What were you listening to in 1994? What were the big the big albums for you because for me it's it's an awesome year for music. It's a really good year for music. Um, the big albums for me were Dummy by Portishead. It was a huge album mm. for me. Huge album for me. Um, the Crow soundtrack was big. Uh, Reality Bite soundtrack was big. Um, Jar of Flies came out that year was big and uh that year i also went to see pink floyd on the division bell tour and uh i also went to see one of the worst concerts i've ever been to uh page and plant on their unleaded acoustic (laughs) tour (laughs) it was awful (laughs) tell us more why how how give us more uh adjectives for how bad it was i mean it's just it, it was like an open mic night with like uh, like road weary, worn out. It, they were almost like a cover band of themselves. Uh-huh. You know, it was like, <laughs> hey, we got um, the bassist from Black Crows and <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen's uncle to come out here <laughs> And cover some Led Zeppelin song. It, it, it just, they toned it down so much. The whole thing was themed around No Quarter, and the cover of No Quarter was so bad. I, oh. It just wasn't good live. And, and the opening yeah. act for it was uh, Tracy Bonham, if you remember her. Yeah, barely. She did that Mother Mother song a couple years later. Got popular. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Nice. You, you mentioned some albums there that stick out to me. Jar of Flies being a real big one. And it's 
worth noting that in our Discord we did a time travel for the for Polyka. We went, we all went back to 1994 back in February. So uh, that was sort of my rediscovery of 1994 music, and uh, you know all of the big all the big ones stick out, right? Soundgarden, Super Unknown, uh, Nirvana's Unplugged was that year. Um, maybe the last Pearl Jam album that I remember ever listening to came out, Vitalogy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff right in my wheelhouse that year. Jar of Flies, man, a banger. I I have a rediscovery of that every five years. I'm like, dang, it's still good, still good. Yeah. It's only about seven songs long, yeah, and uh, they're they're all pretty short. But yeah, every song is great. The videos, uh, you know, I was still watching MTV like twenty four hours a day at that time, um, and that album had videos for No Excuses, I Stay Away, and maybe one other song I can't remember. But the video for I Stay Away is like this creepy claymation thing where this guy goes to a circus. And he has a jar of flies, and he op- he opens it up like around all the the circus animals, and they all go crazy and like mutilate the humans and stuff. It was so dark and so unexpected that I it I was like, how can they be airing you know one of those? <laughs> like, how can this be on TV? But it was re- it's still re- a really cool watch today. But yeah, and it fits the song perfectly too. But um. Yeah, that's what I remember from that album the most. Well, and it, you that's even awesome. had you had like a, a Purple came out that year, the SCP's second album, mm. and the first Weezer album came out that year. Live throwing copper. The the inescapable. <laughs> I made a short list of inescapable 1994 albums. <laughs> One was Chant became huge. The Benedictine Monk Chant <laughs> CD that was that was big in '94. <laughs> My mom had that, yes. The the Hootie and the Blowfish first album. Oh, yeah. Crack oh, Rearview was everywhere, nonstop. It's still everywhere. If you go to like a used CD place, you'll you'll see at least like 17 copies of that, like mm-hmm. just randomly strewn about. Monster by R.E.M. was nonstop on MTV. Just What's a Frequency Kenneth was over and over yep. and over and over again. Those were totally inescapable. In 1994. Yeah, that Hootie the Blowfish played at every dance from 1994 until I graduated high school just because I think it got its hooks in all of the kids when they were little. And it became this like nostalgic plug that just would never go away. The stench of that song followed me throughout all of my adolescence. Ugh. I had a single. Which one? I had a single from that. Uh (laughs) <laughs> the, the one song that was played at all the soccer I don't remember the name of the song I've tried to purge it from my memory because the one that I always think of is uh, I only want to be with you that one that's yeah. the dolphins but, um, is that on- that. yeah <laughs> it's got it's got Dan Marino it's got the guys from Sports Center. oh they're so cool but um, the, there was also what was it Letter Cry Letter Cry the yeah. first album and then um Oh, okay. Oh, I think Hold My Hand is what I'm thinking Hold of. Hold My Hand was the other big one. Yeah. First that's what it was. Yeah. Ugh, man, those are earworms. I can just, just hearing the, the titles of them, I'm already like, oh, I need to go get brain bleach. <laughs> I want to be humming that all <laughs> night. Take a little bleach bath. Yeah, t- take a Brillo oh. pad to, to the surface area of your brain. And another one that was <laughs> inescapable uh, was the first Blues Traveler album, the one with... Oh, you're run so right about that. And Hook. It was Run Around and Hook. <laughs> I actually liked that Hook song. It's a fun song to play on guitar. Um, but God, that video 
And that video was so strange because it was like all these other, like Paul Schaefer was in it. Uh, it was all these like different musicians pl- like mimicking playing the song, and it was just like, what is this? Like this is kind of dumb. Just show the freaking band. Well, and it was one. It was one of those that Hootie and the Blowfish and Blues Traveler were two of those bands that even if you tried to say, well, I'm going to switch it over to VH1 and see what's on there, maybe behind the music's on. <laughs> and right. the video was on that channel too, you know? Like, <laughs> it didn't matter where you went. Yeah, it got to the point where it's like, please show me a Sting video or something like that instead of one of those two bands. You're, you're totally right about you're that. You're flipping over yeah. to TNN to see what video is on there. BET, <laughs> 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 uh, get some get some Black Street. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> like go. Like some... Some, uh, what's that guy's name? Brian McKnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact Blues Traveler playing a, uh, a town over from me tomorrow night as of this recording. I, wow. I would, I would have a chance to go see them, but I mean, I'll, I'll pass this time. Maybe next time. Well, I told, pl- and just to, oh, I'm sorry. I told ahead. my wife that Blues, I think Blues Traveler's trajectory was they played them so much that everyone was like, I'm good after the first album. <laughs> And then they just <laughs> never did anything notable again. Yep, yeah. pretty much. That lines up. Um, I just, I just want to mention real quickly, uh, referring to the previous couple episodes in terms of music, uh, we Trav and I did a bad, uh, a bad thing by not mentioning Weird Al. Oh come on, what uh, were we he, thinking? I know we, Weird Al was a huge part of my growing up, especially uh, off the deep end in 1992. Which has uh, smells like Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Um, Alapalooza has probably my f- no, not quite my favorite, but one of my favorite original Weird Al songs. That's not a parody. Uh, Frank's Two Thousand Inch TV, which is <laughs> yeah. a, a total earworm. One of my favorite songs. And uh, but yeah, Weird Al. Uh, we, I had a videotape uh, that was uh, had all his videos up through Smells Like Nirvana. And that's how I found out like about all his older stuff, including probably my favorite Weird Al song, One More Minute. Oh, that's the best. He, the best. Where he parodies like those old like fifties crooner songs <laughs> and, and like slowly escalates like the things he would do rather than spend like a jump into a pile of razor blades. Yep. <laughs> rather eat a pile of broken glass. Like it's just <laughs> it never fails to get a laugh. Yep, love that stuff. I'm, I'm about to make you jealous here, Alex, because uh, the champ, the champ, and I, three weeks from yeah. today. Oh, three weeks from today. Okay, going to go I see. Was say that We're I, down. I know yeah. that's coming up. Yep, yep. We got a date. We're going to go see. We're down. And there's a there's somebody opening, right? Yeah, the, emo, the, Phillips, emo Phillips, the uh, very oh, very eccentric '80s awesome comedian. Show. Yeah, it's going to be wild. UHF reunion right there. Yeah. 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 It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to that. But yeah, Weird Al, that was kind of a big miss. But, you know, f- f- the the research that we end up doing for this is a lot of like, you we don't want to miss any of the big stuff. So we, we go to, uh, you know, what was big in 1994 and just kind of Google that and just kind of, you know, kind of go that way. And Weird Al doesn't show up on those lists. You know, no, he doesn't. You, you have to be, you have to focus, hone in on your own Weird Alness to, to pull him in. So uh, I know in, Throughout most of the 90s, he was releasing albums pretty regularly, so he'll come back up again in some future episodes for sure. But, you know, we talked about albums and videos, but there were some songs that, you know, whether or not those albums came out in 1994, these songs were hitting the charts pretty hard. One big one that you can't understate is Warren G's Regulate. Of course. I still know all the words to that song. 
Yeah. It was a cold, clear night. A clear, white moon. Warren G is on the street. That's the whitest. Uh, <laughs> I'm the whitest West Coast rap guy ever. But yeah, uh, I love that song. Love that was the world's introduction to Nate Dogg. Uh, or I should say, like you know, the mainstream's introduction to him. So that that was cool. Uh, Warren G kind of fell off a bit after that song, but that was that was huge. And that was another one of those videos that played mm-hmm. all the flipping mm-hmm. time, like every day. But uh, there was also Tootsie Roll. To the left, to the left, <laughs> to the right. Still a banger, man. Still I fired it up today. Every karaoke night at every bar ever, <laughs> of course, to this day. I remember that was that was on like a, a one of the Jock Jam CDs, and me and my bud would uh, we'd we'd get those. You've got Jock Rock and Jock Jams, all the volumes, and we'd we'd take the boombox out on the patio and blare it while we shot hoops. Just a just a couple fat white kids just living it up. It was great. Love Tootsie Roll. Also, there's Basket Case by Green Green Day. That was a. Uh... I no. I, I I have to I have to say I, I I was already a snob when it came to music. I was 12 in '94, but I already had like my favorites. I was like slowly transitioning from my Soundgarden love of Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, all that stuff, to harder stuff like Slayer into Cannibal Corpse and like death metal stuff. But Green Day, just no. Could never do it. Still can't do it. Huh. Did not like that album. Did not like that song. Hated how that guy sounded like uh, he had like a fake British accent almost. I only like that album. That I didn't like anything after that. Yeah, I think I'm they, the same. They should have like stopped there. That first album, I thought like the real stars of the show on that first album are the bass and drums for me. Yeah, like, dude. Their bass yeah. and their drummer are insane. Yeah, a lot of good hooks in that. But yeah, after that, it's just really samey, which is probably the the recipe for why I no longer care about them and kind of forget they exist. Um, the, yeah, I remember the sign by uh, the Ace of Bass, that song being popular. And I remember my uh, fourth grade reading teacher, whatever she was, English teacher or whatever. Uh, she was a bit younger than the rest. All, I, all of my teachers through school were like 100 years old, except for this one right in the middle who was like 27. And she said she liked the song. We're like, wait a minute. You like music that like comes on MTV? That's crazy. I remember that blew our mind. We were like, holy shit, we listen to the same we the same music as you? That's nuts. It's, it still sticks out to me. Every time I think of that song, I think of Mrs. Patterson. I hope she's doing well. <laughs> and that song was another video that was on all the time, except that one kind of stayed on VH1 for the most part. That yeah. was a VH1 staple. So there was also I Swear. Oh, God. Another Sock Up all special. F- did both, all for did one. both versions of that come out the same in 94? Because what there was a country version too, right? Yeah, yeah, there was. I don't remember. I just remember this one That's being a good huge. Question. This one being huge, and we yeah. But I remember the "I Swear" song. Uh, I remember finding it weird that the, one of the singers, but primarily the guy that's the lead on the during the chorus, he sounds a lot like Weird Al. Like I don't know if that's just my imagination, but for oh, better God. or worse, I was like, <laughs> "Oh God!" Like, I swear to God, that's Al Yankovic singing that. But did you just ruin I, that I song worse under- for me? Oh, I gotta go listen to it now. <laughs> no, I think I made it better. <laughs> Wait, no, you're right. You definitely made it better. But I do have to go listen to it. To ah oh, man, it's gonna be one of those it things like, like I'll never unhear it again. <laughs> and of course, there's also "Fantastic Voyage" by the recently departed Coolio. Uh, that was his first big single, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I remember uh, being out on the uh, playground. We had a we had a basketball uh, court out there, and all the cool kids 
knew that song and they were like shooting hoops and singing it. And I was like, man, I need to learn the words to this song so I could be one of the cool kids. So I remember like staying up late, like waiting for it to come on MTV so I could sit down and listen to all the words so I could, I could nail, nail those, the little lines. And then I came in and singing it. They were like, wow, Trout, we, we didn't know you listened to cool music. I'm like, you got it, dudes. Fucking know that song inside and out. Pass me the rock. That's how I got cool. <laughs> Coolio. Uh, Burger, I, I'm sure you remember this. In fact, uh, you have, I think we've actually talked about this before, but, um, speaking of like, you know, old MTV stuff, uh, uh, do you remember those commercials that were on all the time of Jimmy, the cab driver? Yeah, that was, um, Donald Logue played Jimmy, the cab driver. Donald Logue. Yeah. My favorite one of those, I still remember to this day, and I think of it every time I think of Fantastic Voyage, where he tries to describe what's going on in the video. There's a bunch of people that are getting out of the trunk of the car. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't quite do it. They want to go to Day Beach, but they're not, they can't find Day Beach, so they go over. <laughs> yeah, those those commercials are out all the time, and they are actually pretty funny. Like I would actually look forward to like seeing that guy and hearing that guy, because I thought he was funny, but... Yeah, that's 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 great. You remember that too. Yeah, yeah, those were great. He remembers everything. Ah, uh, he does remember. It's everything. a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into movies, shall we? Because based on my memory of you know, again, I've gone through 1996 again for a month. I've gone through 1994 again for a month, and comparing those two years alone, 94 was like just unbelievably better by every standard every genre all of it was just way way better than 96 um so we've listed a few out here i mean you could just start with you know the top one here like pulp fiction gosh dang i mean there was nothing else like it before i remember my brother uh who's uh five years older than me so he would have been like high school like 17 somewhere around there he that is as excited as I've ever seen him to like go see something. Was he? He was just raving about Pulp Fiction. He's I'm gonna go see it again and blah blah blah. So he freaking loved it. Uh, yeah. That to this day, like if I see for, for whatever reason, I'm like walking across the room or flipping channels, and I see just like one second of that movie, I gotta sit down and watch mm-hmm. and and see where where I am in the story and what's going on. It sucks you in every time. Yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Do you guys remember like any you know going to see a movie in a theater in '94? Like, do any particular movies stick out? Because I'm a little bit younger. So I was like nine. I think the only movie that we've listed here, there's maybe two that I saw in the theater. One was Lion King, and the other was like, you know, Ace Ventura. So. I saw <laughs> of the list here. I saw Forrest Gump a couple times. My mom really liked that movie a lot. It actually was like uh, history teachers in high school were using that to be like, pick out all the historical events and Forrest Gump and how they actually turned out, mm. and, you know. But I saw that in the theater. I saw Clerks in the theater when it came out at our old one two three theater. Uh, I saw Speed, uh, True Lies, and The Crow from this list. I saw the crow a couple times on, on my own. You had a good 1994. Yeah, for me, uh, my dad and my brother were all about the the big summer blockbuster action movies. So we saw Speed, True Lies. Uh, I think we saw The Crow. 
maybe i don't remember if it, that was in theaters but and on the other side of the coin we we, we also saw lion king mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so it, we, were, we were all over the map for that um i don't think i saw forrest gump in the theaters but yeah um i'm trying to think of some other like summer uh big action movies from was executive decision that the year kurt russell I'm a Steven Seagal. Kurt Russell movie. No, that was a couple years later. But um yeah, we always we always made it like an a, a a point to spend at least a few weekends every summer just going to see all like the big action flicks. And there were none better than stuff like True Lies because that stuff like totally out surpassed your expectations. Speed did too for that matter. Um, even though it is just Die Hard well, on a for, bus mm-hmm. for but your big, uh, action, it's pretty fun still. Um, for your big action movies, you had uh, The Shadow. <laughs> uh, did not see. I've seen that one since, which is it's a really good, but uh, did not see clear it and present time. danger was that that summer. Um, you, you had Airheads in the Army now. <laughs> oh, Blank oh. Man. Oh, you know what another big one was? Uh, Star Trek Generations. And that was a big deal because it was the first next genera- Star Trek Next Generation movie, and they were going to shoehorn William Shatner into it. Uh, I remember my parents being really excited about that because they're both big Star Trek dorks. <laughs> so that was a big one. But that, that movie wasn't all that great. Not not really. But um, it was a fun time to like you know see all those guys on the big screen after watching them on TV for years. So. Mm. It's also, uh, sh- we'd be remiss if we didn't at least shout out Shawshank Redemption, which also just makes me think of The Last Man on Earth, where, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but Will Forte's character in that show tries to uh, get close to, to this uh, woman that he meets because it's her favorite movie, but he hasn't seen it. So he she's like, well, what are some lines from it that you like? And he's like, and it was a Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> 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 Seriously, some of my favorite shit right there. And the Jim Carrey trilogy, man. This guy in 1994, I don't know if anybody's blown up within an, a, a 10-month span like this guy did with Ace mm-hmm. Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. And I, Dumb and Dumber is kind of like Pulp Fiction in that like, if I, no matter where it's at, if I walk past it, yeah. I'm sitting down and watching the whole thing. I, it's one of the few movies that I can watch over and over again and can nearly quote I was gonna say we can uh, all agree that Dumb and Dumber is the best of those three, right? I think so. Yeah. The interesting thing is, all three of those got animated shows with a different actor playing Jim Carrey in, in all three of them. Yeah, I remember reading that. Wasn't Matt Frewer one of the mm-hmm. actors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Cool. The year of Jim Carrey, like freaking no joke, like oversaturated on. Jim and I think he yeah, still no was one more season, maybe a half season into In Living Color after this. <laughs> so he was still doing stuff like Fire Marshal Bill and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that while all this is going on. That's that's nuts. Dude, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy year for that guy. Uh, I do have to shout out The Crow is uh, check out your local Uncle Doug's DVD bin for a full oh. episode of The Crow. Holds up really well, in my opinion. I was I remember so? watching it a few years. Yeah, I remember watching it a few years ago and expecting nothing but cringe and the worst. And I really I was really entertained. I thought it was good. Um the only time I laughed out loud was when he smashes the guitar on the roof. 
thought, I thought that was kind of dumb. I, I thought it was a really long Hot Topic commercial, but it was <laughs> but it was still fun. Like, I, I have fun with it. I'm not – it's hard I, to be critical of a movie like that. I think Michael Wincott is a, is really the gem of that yes. movie. Like, he's such yes. a he, – he's the bad guy, and he just plays it to the to the tippity top. Like, just goes for it, you know? Yeah, he's he steals the show for sure. Yeah, yeah. he's he's great. <laughs> I wish I had that guy's voice. This podcast network would have ascended <laughs> long ago. Uh, all right. Well, I I think we we've done movies. It's time to sh- to talk about world events. World events in 1994 were pretty substantial. Uh, there's still documentaries coming out about some of the major things that happened that year. To this day, the big glaring one is the whole O.J. Simpson thing. Uh, I certainly remember the Bronco chase. I was tuned into that live. We actually we had one TV in the house. I'm sitting there because I'm a I'm a little nerd. We only have one TV. I'm enjoying watching Larry King live with my mom. That's the kind of kid I was. I was like, <laughs> Mom, we can't miss Larry King. We can't miss him. Turn him off. Flip it over now. Uh, Golden Girls are the the credits are rolling. It's time for Larry. We get Larry, and then Larry cuts in live to that thing. Now, I, I if I were a you know, if I if I knew more about what was going on around me, I would have probably been tuned into the uh, the game seven that was taking place that night with the. Uh, That's right. Yeah, it was Rockets and was it Knicks? Uh, Rockets, New York Knicks. Yeah. I wonder what the ratings I, on that were with the whole OJ thing going on. I don't know, man, but probably not good. There were a lot of people that were upset that they had the you know they got the screen and screen on the OJ thing where they're trying to watch a basketball game. Meanwhile, Larry gets taken up a notch. I'm like, whoa, this is best Larry King ever. This guy is crazy. <laughs> he just throws his interviewer like... The results of the low-speed chase today. Yeah. He, he kicks whoever he's interviewing like into the closet, and he's like, situation developing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. So that was... Uh, is he taking calls while this is going on? Like, I Jerry from New Jersey, you're on with... <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, pretty much. He, Hey, Larry, this is Al Cowley. <laughs> you can go to uh, to YouTube and dig up that whole episode. Um, wow. Because I, I did that for my nostalgia's sake. Because I, I was too young to even really know who OJ was. I mean, if you guys are a little older than me, you probably knew him at least from the the few films that he had done and even maybe the Hertz rental car commercials. I didn't even know him from that. I didn't recognize the name. I didn't follow his football career had been done for 15 years. So I'm like, yeah. who is this guy? Why yeah. is it such a big deal? He, he was definitely bigger as the guy from as Norfield from Naked right. Gun. Yeah. Right. To me than he ever was from football. Yeah. Lieutenant Nordberg in uh Nordberg. Those, those those movies, especially at the end of the first movie where he <laughs> is in a wheelchair and Frank Drebin slaps him on the back and he goes down the stairs and <laughs> like <laughs> it's obviously a dummy in the wheelchair that does like 10,000 flips in the air once he hits the railing and lands on the field. It's it's that's one of the hardest times I can remember ever laughing in my life when I first saw that. Um, I, I knew him from that. And he was also a sideline guy, sideline reporter for uh, NFL broadcasts on NBC he did the Olympics um, a lot. So he was on TV a lot if you watched a lot of sports. Um, and he always had this like jovial, likable kind of persona where he was just kind of a goofball, So which made him perfect for Naked Gun. But um, I, I'll i never forget like first – I used to read the newspaper when I was a kid, like cover to cover. Uh, and I remember seeing that story and thinking, no way. 
Like OJ did that? No. Like that was like my initial reaction. Like, come on, that guy, that guy, that guy's so friendly and energetic and and funny and you know everything. He's so likable. And then we find out later that uh, uh, that was when uh, we, as a nation and as a society, decided to learn about DNA all at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So whereas Cato Kalin thought DNA stood for "dude needs apartment," <laughs> so that's an actual quote from him. Oh wow! But. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it was during the trial, but it was it was definitely sometime like after or something. But uh, yeah, and we we got to learn about all these crazy characters through the trial, uh, like uh, even all, like all the guy? lawyers, like Charlie Cochran or Johnny Cochran rather, and yeah, yeah. Johnny Johnny Cochran, Johnny Cochran, F. Lee Bailey, uh, Shapiro, Kardashian, Robert Kardashian, Barry Schick. Yep. Yeah, and and Marsha Marsha Clark with her, she had like four different drastically different hairstyles. Yeah, Chris Darden and uh, Chris, da- poor Chris Darden. That guy wanted to freaking just punch everybody. Judge Ito, and then the, Jay Leno had the the uh, regrettable the dancing Ito's. What a time! What a time to be alive! Holy shit. crazy! Yeah, just crazy. Uh, it doesn't get better from that though. We lost Kurt Cobain that that year. Yeah. I I don't know if you guys uh I, that's that's definitely a, a remember where you were type thing. I was uh 100%. Yeah, sleeping over at my at my friend's house. Uh we were up all night playing like old Nintendo games. I remember us playing Arch Rivals. That was mm. a hilarious game that I I still really like. Um but yeah, I remember uh his mom coming down and telling us that like they're saying Kurt Cobain is dead, and me and him both like dun, 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 like ran upstairs wow. like as fast as we could. And sure enough, MTV News, there's Kurt, Kurt Loader. Loader, yeah, and he's talking to Courtney Love, who's like sobbing. There's all these people like outside somewhere in Seattle or Aberdeen, I don't know, but they're all congregated there, just talking to each other and like in shock and stuff like that. I just remember just watching TV like that whole morning and just being like. I just got to know this guy. What the hell? <laughs> like, right. He'd be gone already. I remember, uh, so I grew up in a trailer park, and our we had a basketball court down near the mailboxes at the end, but it was like a piece of plywood with like a belt hanging from it, and, you know, you the three-point line was where the dirt met the grass. So we would go up to my friend, like, walk up the hill to this big farm that was the top of the hill where my friend's grandfather lived and we play basketball on their nice basketball court and we're playing basketball and my friend comes out of the house and he's like, Kurt Cobain just killed himself. And at the time I was dating this girl that was really, really into Nirvana. And so, you know, you don't have cell phones. So I run down the hill to my house to call her and make sure she's okay. And of course she's a mess because we're 16 at that point. And, and and she's devastated, you know, and we're, you know, talking on the phone the rest of the night about the tragedy of Kurt Cobain. So crazy. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years after that, like like Dave Grohl and uh, Chris Novoselic just kind of disappeared after that for like the next however many. I think it was 90, 96 when the first Foo Fighters album came out and it was just Dave Grohl yeah. doing all the instruments and. It's. I remember seeing that and reading about that and being like, "Man, that that guy must be a mess. Like that really sucks." But uh, yeah, that was 
that was major, like major, major at the time. Yeah, for sure. Dave Grohl's had to endure a lot of tragedies even here lately with the the drummer. Yeah, with uh, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah, bummer. There's Nancy Kerrigan and uh, Tanya Harding drama. Now, this is something I was dialed into because I told you, I already, I was a pretty cool kid. I had to learn all the lyrics to Fantastic Voyage to even get on a basketball court. And <laughs> I watched Larry King by choice. Uh, I also was super into figure skating. My, mo- my mom and I were tight. 1994 was our year. And we watched tons of figure skating. So I already knew who Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding were before this happened. Wow. Most people didn't know. Most people had no idea. For those that don't know what happened, it's uh, Nancy Kerrigan was like the favorite to win, uh, not the Olympics, but like the world championships or whatever in, in figure skating sometime in yeah. early on in 94. And uh, Tanya Harding was the underdog. You know, she was another, they were both Americans and they were both uh, rivals, um, both at the top of their game, two of the best. One day, Nancy Kerrigan is walking after practice to her car and she gets attacked and somebody takes her out takes out her knee with like a, a crowbar or like a tire iron or something like Arn Anderson style like you, you only heard about this kind of stuff in pro wrestling so the fact that this happened in like real life is insane uh, it turns out mm-hmm. that <laughs> it wasn't that hard it, I, I don't know what the details of the investigation but it turns out it wasn't all that hard to find out that it was tanya harding behind it even though she denied everything but um yeah she hired right she hired goons to take out her top rival so that's like that just doesn't happen like it's it, it was insane and of course she denied yeah, everything and, and all the all the goons took the fall and they did jail time i think i don't know if they're still in jail but uh yeah Tanya Harding, I don't think ever did any served any time for anything. She was banned from a lot of oh yeah competitions yeah, yeah. and her, it was her ex husband at the time yeah who she they you know they were still friends who had a connection to this goon or whoever she still denies knowing about it um, and he even said well you know I I took it upon myself so there's. There's like two, they kind of corroborate each other in that maybe Tanya didn't know about it, but I find that very hard to believe. But there was also this whole fallout that Nancy staged it because the camera was following her out. The camera goes uh, away from her and then she gets it. So like it it seemed like staged and people were saying like, oh, she sabotaged herself so that she didn't have to have all this pressure going into these competitions or whatever. So there was actually backlash toward Nancy while she was the one that got hit and her face was all over tabloids, like the worst faces of her crying ever. And people were like, like coming down on her. And she was the one that got like yeah. railroaded. Yeah. So it, it wasn't until the details came out that it all sort of fell in line that, Oh, okay. Uh, this, this Tanya Harding person is, is not a good character. Or may not be. At least she doesn't hang around with the good characters and they've done something terrible to poor Nancy. <laughs> but Nancy ends up coming back. She doesn't win the Olympics, uh, but she, she does play second. Tanya places eighth. So I'm, I'm going to reach into the deepest depths of the ether that is my brain. Uh, and I'm going to see if I can name who won the Olympic gold that year. I think it was Oksana Bayou. You nailed it. And I, I swear on my dog's lives, I did not look that up. Let me... It was it Oksana Bayou? Yeah. You're talking to figure skating uh, and guy over here. <laughs> wow. Okay. So apparently we need to do a figure skating podcast. We will. We will one uh, day. We talk some 
we talked some Christy Yamaguchi yeah. and some Debbie Thomas. Uh-huh. So, so, Trav, who won the men's gold that year? I don't know. I didn't watch the men. <laughs> <laughs> the only, thanks to South Park, the only one I know is Brian Boitano. Is it Rudy Galindo? Oh, you mean know. Brian Boitano that has like his own cooking show on Food Network? Could be. Does he really? Mm-hmm. Does he? And it's called what would <laughs> Brian Boitano Make. Uh, oh my God. Does he chop everything up with ice skates? <laughs> That'd be amazing. That would be awesome. Are we kidding ourselves? That would be amazing. I would watch it every night. His, his kitchen floor is ice and he just <laughs> skates. <laughs> skates. It's like an old shop takes diner, off his... but ice. <laughs> oh uh, man. Well done. Well, now we can we can move away from world events because they're always depressing, but they're worth mentioning because we all remember where we were. Uh, Alexei uh, Ermanov from Russia. I had to look it up, though. I didn't know that one was the gold. No thing. idea. Uh, you guys know more about the TV shows in 94 than me. Again, I was watching mostly Larry King. What do you guys remember? Well, The State and Burger knows all about that show. The, um, the State is one of my all-time favorite shows of all time and probably... It's up there with Mr. Show is like my favorite sketch comedy shows of all time. Yep, same. And I think one reason for that, uh, not only because it's it's really really funny, but because it was one of the first shows that I felt like was mine. You know, like Saturday Night Live at the time was you know this big national show that you know everybody talked about, everybody saw it. It was part of the national conjecture basically. Whereas the state was this little sketch comedy show on like 8.30 on, I don't know, Saturday nights or something like that uh, with a bunch of these goofballs uh, that are f- well known now thanks to shows like Reno 911. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's guys like, you know, uh, Ben Garant and Thomas Lennon and uh, Ken Marino, uh, Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black, Carrie Kenny. Um, and these people David have been like, all over... Yeah. David Wayne was was uh, he's turned out to be a, an amazing director, um, and the state was just so it, it helped that it it really hit a different note than anything else on TV. Like you couldn't see something like Taco Mail on any other TV show, <laughs> which is Taco Mail is my all time favorite sketch, uh, where the Instead mailman bail, decides he decides to get better <laughs> with tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and when the, the guy, like one of the mail, uh, the, the, the guy's asking where his mail is, and the guy, the mailman, uh, interprets that as, what, you don't like the tacos? <laughs> and the, the way Michael Ian Black like goes up to his face and he's like, Jake, I love the tacos, okay? They, they, they may be the best tacos I've ever had. Okay, like it's, it's like this intimate moment about tacos. But I just want my mail. <laughs> I just want my mail. <laughs> oh, so you like this? You just worried about your mail? It's just the dumbest. Ske- it's so funny though. There's like, so many dumb the... sketches that with dumb premises. Uh, the, some of my favorites to stand out are uh, the one of uh, the sideways house. It's like a, <laughs> yes. it's like a huge family of twenty people living on a house that's sideways, and just everyone's getting injured because to get to the bathroom you got to climb up the wall to get into the bathroom, and they're all falling out. Uh, and there was another sketch where Ben Garant was a student in a classroom, and he he's late, and he walks in, and the teacher says, "You know, you didn't shut the door." And he's like, "Yeah." And it's like, "What were you born in a barn?" 
and he just runs out of the classroom crying. It turns out that he <laughs> was born in a barn. <laughs> so he goes back home and he finds himself and he comes back to the classroom and they say, uh, and, and he doesn't shut the door. And the teacher goes, you didn't shut the door. What are you? And he says, born in a barn. Yes, I was. And I'm proud of it. And the teacher says, kids, I think we've learned an important lesson here today. And that lesson is that you shouldn't laugh at someone because of where they came from. Except for Timmy's par- Timmy, whose parents are coal miners. And they all point at Joe Latrulio and laugh at him. I mean, that one stands out so much. Uh, yeah. And of course, another one of my favorites is uh, um, the... I, I, the burger, the chicken sandwich one, where they, the guy just wants to order uh, uh, a chicken sandwich, and Ben Garant just starts screaming at his coworker like inches away from his oh, face. Yes. Chicken sandwich, Carl! What are you deaf? And, he, and then it it just escalates. The insanity just keeps going, where it's like the manager like busts out like brass knuckles and and nunchucks, <laughs> yeah. and then Ken Marino comes in with like a terrible wig and a really crooked mustache. Oh my god, it's the owner! Run! <laughs> it's just it just descends into chaos, and then everything quietly goes back to normal, and the guy gets his food. That started that year on Saturdays, and then Duckman and Weird Science were on USA right before it oh, starting yeah, that year. Yeah. And so that was like a Saturday night staple, you know, Duckman, yep, yep. Weird Science, The State. Yeah, nice. really, when it comes to MTV, or when it comes to TV, it's basically anything on MTV. Uh, Letterman, uh, he had just moved to CBS, uh, Saturday Night Live, of course, but MTV had such great stuff back then um they had shows like the state but they also had stuff like the head which was a like an animated science fiction tv show yeah it was part of they had a block of animation that started the next year and the head is kind of what started that i don't remember what the block was called but they added like the max and stuff like that yes the next year yeah um, I think they in 94, they still had liquid television on, which was like yep. a showcase of all sorts of weird animation, whether and it could be like drawing or it could be stop motion, claymation, whatever. Or what uh, all sorts dog boy. It was like real people wearing plastic wigs was a big thing. Oh, that. yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that show was freaking bizarre. Um, I wish stuff like that. I guess YouTube exists now. You can find that stuff, but. Yeah, seeing that stuff like in the wild as you're just like watching TV, minding your own business is is something that I don't think can exist today, which makes me sad. But eh, that's time. Time always moves forward, I guess. But uh, yeah, anything MTV at the time. Uh, oh was, yeah, the Real World was uh, yeah. still oh, yeah. on at that time. Yeah, the San Francisco season. I yeah, was with like, Puck must, and Rachel must must and- watch for me. And lame-ass, lame-ass Judd. I hated Judd so much. I, he still makes me mad. <laughs> he married Pam, the doctor. <laughs> he did, yeah. And then uh, Rachel married a senator, and they have like 700 children, I think. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Yeah, she's got a lot of oh, kids. Seems like a lot. 700 seems like a lot. <laughs> uh, do you want to move into books, Burger? Because that's your domain, man. I've read a book before. 
you've read a couple of books. Maybe we should take maybe we should uh we go deep on your book stuff right here in the middle of 94 books. Uh because you've been providing some write-ups for the Polymedia Network website. I encourage folks to go check that out. There's a writing section over there Burger Champ really just carrying the the burden of making this website something worth reading. So thank you Burger Champ. A lot of good book recommendations there because you're a very prolific reader. Were you reading a lot of books in 1994? I know since then you've probably read a bunch of books that were written in 1994. Um, I don't know that I was reading specifically books as they came out in 1994. I mean, there would have been things like uh, I would have been reading John Grissom as they come out came out at that time because that was just inescapable. I, the Chamber came out that year. I want to say Michael Crichton had. Uh, a big left turn with uh, what's the name of that book? It's about harassment. They made a movie with Michael Douglas and oh, disclosure. Disclosure came out that year, and I really wanted it to be science fiction, and it was absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I've always been a big reader, and would have been a big reader at this time. But I don't know that I was reading a lot of um, current like bestsellers. Contemporary oh, a big stuff. One, a big one that came out that year that. Because I was very into Stephen King. And this is like uh, him coming out of the Cocaine King years uh, with Insomnia was a big one Mm. that year. Uh, Mm. And I mean a big one. That's a big book. It's a big meaty boy. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, when we were in 1994 back in February, I think a few of us read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which was a bestseller that year by John Barrett. Um, And then that's also... Uh, the same year that Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom came out, which I still haven't read yet, but uh, it's on my to-do list. Yeah, I haven't read that one either. I've read In the Garden of Good and Evil a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to touch, though, on uh, Berger's uh, posts on the Polymedia Network blog, where he talks about there's three posts now, I think, at least, or at Mm -hmm. least three that I could see. Three recent ones, Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, the one that catches my eye is books about food and where it comes from, books about uh, you know stuff that shapes the way we talk about and prepare food, books about uh, how, you know all sorts of stuff like forks <laughs> and and stuff like that. I, I thought it was funny that um, you listed as uh, one of your biggest recommendations, Salt: A World History. Because I remember uh, my friend long time ago, this is over 10 years ago, I think, 15 years ago, uh, was going through some real tough stuff, uh, a lot of drama and relationship stuff. And he uh, was he really wanted stuff to settle down, so he was like, I'm going to just go out and buy the most boring book I can find. I'm going to buy Salt, A World History. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he bought that and read it cover to cover in like a week and he was like all right now i got an appreciation for salt <laughs> i just thought that was really funny uh but yeah there, there's a lot of good stuff here of course anthony bourdain kitchen confidential was a huge deal when that came out that was all his stuff should be uh you know it's it's must read but mm-hmm. uh, you also have my guy on here uh jacques pepin who uh, has a pretty fascinating life, but he's mm-hmm. also, I love that guy because he doesn't waste food. He, he does everything right, but he, um, just his preparation and the way that he gets everything ready um, and everything prepared to, to 
cook and he's very bare bones about everything uh and that speaks to me um i love his books about uh fast food because those are freaking genius that's like taking you know it's like just go out and get like a long thing you know like a, a some french bread cut it up and then you know rub some gar- literally rub some garlic on it and rub some tomato on it like some just raw tomato and then put some of that what is that like really thin meat prosciutto uh, yeah prosciutto yeah and yeah he's like yeah this is a perfect like appetizer type snack i was like holy shit like that's <laughs> i'm going to do that right now that that looks easy and it looks awesome his fast food so. cookbooks are literally our most used cookbooks in my household like we we're on our second copy of more fast food my way because it just fell apart you know oh wow us using it so much because the all the recipes take 20 to 30 minutes all the ingredients are things you can find in basically any grocery store especially nowadays and all the preparations easy if you have questions about preparation you can find a jock pepin video that will tell you exactly what to do in the simplest terms um he has a book called essential techniques that comes with a DVD of like all of his prep techniques and stuff. Uh, he's, I think he's the best prep guy, most prolific yeah. prep guy in the business. Yeah. And his videos actually show you how you can practice, not just like, Oh, it's just a simple matter of being brilliant at doing this, you know, this <laughs> insane knife skills. He like actually goes like, no, if you need to get, if you need to get good at this, then here's what you do. So I, I I love that guy. He's he's my all-time favorite. And I know uh, it's funny that we bring up food specifically with Burger Champ here. I know three things about Burger Champ. One, encyclopedia brain. Uh, two, loves reading, reads a ton. And three, real good cook. Real good cook. I've, mm. I've eaten the burgers preparations several times. Got to say, 10 out, of, 10 out of 4, if 4 were the highest. Don't know why I did that ratio selection, but I'm just saying it's good. <laughs> it's strange. You just read it's strange. a song. It's strange. Yeah, I did. That did t- ten four. That's 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 my time signature on, on burger. Um, but no, fa- fantastic stuff. So I mean, just to say, not only must are these probably good books because he's a prolific reader. He's also prolific cook. So extra vote toward these being good reads. Toys. Now, I didn't remember the specific toy. It's the Casio Secret Sender 6000, which sounds like a vacuum cleaner from the Jetsons. But uh, I watched this video about it, which is like a little commercial. I don't remember the commercial at all, but it's basically like an organizer that would let you send messages to other people. in there. This is before text messaging, before cell phones. Oh, I just looked so up like, a picture. I totally remember this thing. Okay. You, so you do remember it because this I kind of blows my one. mind. Yeah. I didn't know this was a thing. If I uh, were to know this existed, I definitely would have wanted one because I would have freaking loved this thing. But um, yeah, I don't remember this. But uh, they had an MLB one. They were like one hundred twenty dollars, though. They were like over a hundred dollars, uh, like more uh, than and, a Super Nintendo. <laughs> and really, well, it's just a keyboard with a tiger LED screen <laughs> on it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you could send messages in class, though, and the teachers would have been none the wiser. Other than the Whoa. fact that you had a big like planner out on your desk, <laughs> yeah, but you can say the it's a calculator, like a keyboard, like a like a like a size yeah. of a small laptop, right? Now. right. Yeah, yeah, that's a. Uh, 
120 bucks. That's two Super Nintendo games, brand new. I'd, yeah. I'd much rather have the games than uh-huh. than that. So screw that. Yeah, I was curious if either of you guys recognized that. I did not, but what I do recognize, Mr. Bucket, Mr. Bucket. Yeah, that balls come out of your mouth. mouth. Yeah. Is it his balls come out of your mouth? Or <laughs> and, and you know, I, I remember uh, being a kid riffing on that that commercial song, Mr. Bucket, <laughs> and thinking that we made it perverted. But I went back and listened to that today and was like, nah, that's just fucked up. This is like, you shove your balls in his mouth or something. Like, it gets, it's like, they didn't, they didn't scan this before they, they went all the way with it. It's weird. Plus, it's just. Plus, it's just kind of a lame game. I'm sorry, Mr. Bucket, but that that is that is a really like his hands go over his to to, to over his the top of his bucket so he to try and prevent you from like adequately mm. putting them in. And how do you win? Well, like, and it's clearly you... it's clearly a game for toddlers to just play endlessly. Yeah. But the commercials always have like a nine and ten year old kid playing it, like they're having a ton of fun, like that. <laughs> and then yeah. you, elephant all game those tw- with the butterflies and stuff. No kid over the age <laughs> of six enjoys that game. But in the commercials, it's like a thirteen year old to seventeen year old <laughs> catching butterflies <laughs> in a net with a little elephant in the middle of the, the living room. The commercial always ends with the kid shouting, "I win!" And it's like, how? How do you, how do you win at this? He put his ball but- in Mr. Buck's mouth. I mean, that's all I can think. <laughs> He put, I think you put him in his head, and then the balls come out of his mouth. Yeah, but come out of his mouth. I butchered that big time. Yeah, Maybe you got to get your finger in his butt or something like that. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. how you win you the got, game. Because sometimes around. the balls get stuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, Mr. Bucket. Yeah, I remember commercials for uh, games like Crossfire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they were always like these kids wearing leather jackets with the sleeves rolled up <laughs> and they're wearing like gloves with the fingers cut off. And it's like these kids are like 13, 14. And it's like, dude, if I'm like 14 years old, I'm not wasting my time playing Crossfire, especially if I'm dressed like that. I'm going to go out <laughs> to like fight a gang or something. <laughs> Seriously. All these you, kids you are remember the, the Oozinator? Remember that commercial? Sounds familiar. It was in the 2000s with a Nerf gun that shot slime. But the commercial is like this dude just, this kid just like pumping this gun. And then he just shoots <laughs> this goo all over this other kid. And you're just like, uh. Oh, yeah. That's not okay. 100% not appropriate for television. <laughs> I just watched the gif of it and felt uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. The Oozinator. Like, when did that come out? Like 2000. This... I just looked it up. 2006. That's too recent to do what it's doing. Like, if that yeah. came out in the right, 90s, right. you're like, oh, that's just an innocent commercial that no one thought would be bad. But, like, by 2000, you know what we're going to do with that. Right. Yeah. Come like, on. internet porn was well entrenched by 2006. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, dude. The the Wikipedia page for the Oozinator does not hold back. It says, allow me to read this Oozinator uh, Wikipedia entry. Uh, the Oozinator is a toy water gun manufactured by Hasbro. Uh, it is a member of the Super Soaker family, which includes 10 other squirt gun toys. It gained notoriety after its release due to its ability to discharge a viscous compound that resembled human <laughs> semen, as well as its suggestive television advertisements that depicted said compound being forcefully ejected onto unwilling children. <laughs> that's that's Someone a- had a lot of fun writing that. Yeah, it's got two sources, too. There's not even a thing here that... You know, like Wikipedia is like flagged for somebody. Look at this. I'm not sure about it. They're like, no, that's 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 the way it is. Townsend's computer. (laughs) It's like, no, that's just uh, that's just the facts. 
That's messed up. All right. Well, that went places. Thanks, 1994. Uh, another toy that came out in 1994, the George Foreman Grill. So don't, oh. don't forget about that toy. Hey, man, that oh. changed lives. That changed lives. Yeah. Able to, to fix my iron deficiency without getting loaded up with grease. It's good. It's a good trade-off. <laughs> Uh, all right, we better move into games or we're going to get in trouble. Or sports. Want to do sports real quick? Do I, sports I, right I can now? just... Yeah, I can touch on sports real quick. Now uh, to Alex with the, sports. Now to Alex. Major League Baseball, strike. Ugh. That, that kind of killed my interest in the sports for a few years. The White Sox were hot for the first half of the season, too. I, I stand yep. by it. That would have been our year. Mm. Uh, it was either them or the Montreal Expos. They were absolutely mm. loaded as well. That's like true. Terry Walker, Delano DeShields, Moises Alou. Uh, you got uh, El Presidente Denny Martinez. Marquise Grissom, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Marquise Grissom was also at the top of that lineup. Uh, you also had the New York Rangers win the Stanley Cup in June. And then a few months later, the NHL lockout starts and lasts three and a half months. So, yeah, the two major sports. Uh, not happening when they should be happening. Yeah. And that was just, uh, it really made you cynical, made you just irritated. At, uh, what's what's funny is that, you know, a lot of the blame at that time went towards the players. Because it's like, oh, these greedy players. And mm-hmm. I think over the course of the last 20 years or so, that has definitely shifted where the players now... It's like, okay, it's millionaires versus billionaires. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I think I'd rather, you know, I think the billionaires should take some responsibility over this stuff. So that's yeah. kind of interesting. It wasn't the something, there wasn't there a tie between the Stanley Cup uh, being won and the chase? Or didn't that all happen like the same day? Maybe it was their celebration. Oh, it was their uh, parade. Yeah. Yeah. There, like there was, a, did you, there was an ESPN uh, mm-hmm. 30 for 30. I haven't on that seen day. that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on that day. It's crazy. But um, we also had the 49ers over uh, the one, the only Stan Humphreys and the San Diego Chargers. Stan Humphreys, uh, man. He gave a kid like me hope. <laughs> one day I could he was be just NFL a NFL quarterback. He was the most regular looking dude you'd ever see as a pro athlete. Like he looks like he should be playing golf. I mean, he has I, a, I should I, have like a, a card of that guy somewhere. I mean, even his name sounds like he would be like a stereotypical like Simpsons character, like like a fat golfer, Stan Humphrey. Like it just he's, he, he looked yeah. he looked like a guy that showed up in the parking lot, like like he'd find guys to work at a Lowe's, and then he just got surprised <laughs> every week when they picked him to come in and play. You Pretty know, much, he's just at the stadium we, in the back of a pickup truck, and they're like, Stan. <laughs> Coming in, you did great last week. Who <laughs> be? Uh, then we got uh, Nebraska, the Cornhuskers, uh, with Tommy Frazier over Miami in the uh, in college football to win the national title. We had the aforementioned uh, Houston Rockets over the New York Knicks, and then one interesting tidbit in the world of sports that year was the World Cup took place in the United States that year hmm. uh, in Southern California, if I remember co- correctly. Um, so to throw a bone to our international audience, uh, yes, well, this American remembers Brazil and Italy. Uh, I remember watching that fu- some, at least the last half of that final because I couldn't believe how into it the crowd was. It's just like, it's soccer. Like, why are these people going insane? <laughs> that was really my first exposure to to the world cup and to like major soccer and i still remember the dude's name i think baggio missed it or missed a penalty kick 
that would have won the final for uh, Italy, I think. And Brazil ended up winning. So, yeah. That was uh, the fact that the World Cup took place in the U.S. was kind of interesting because this is not a, to this day, not exactly a soccer hotbed. True that. True that. Well, now, what do you think? We skip video games and just do emails or should we do video games? What do you guys think? Just kidding. Uh, Super Metroid. <laughs> Alex, take us through it. Oh, uh, well, Super Metroid, I mean, it says 1994 in the intro screen. So it's. I think that's the only game at the time that did something like that. I, I thought that was kind of cool. But um, yeah, it's funny. At the time, Super Metroid was just a really cool game. You know, it was it was fun to hang out in that creepy world and look for stuff and explore. And honestly, it's like the more that that's a strange case of a game that's like only gotten better over time because. There's so many tricks you can learn. There's there's all sorts of different paths you can take that people have discovered over the years. You can skip this section. You can skip this power up entirely. You can uh, speed run it. You can 100 percent it. Uh, it's it's like yeah, I think that's one of the rare cases where um, the internet has really lent itself to elevate a game rather than hype it up to the point where. Uh, like it's like, oh, this isn't that good. It's like, no, Super Metroid really is that good, and here's why. Well, and I think two things that really set it apart are it the simplicity is what gives it its lasting appeal. The story yeah. is basically told without dialogue. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, um, it's really intuitive to pick up and play. There are secrets to learn, and then once you learn them, if you go back and play it again, there are things that you can use from the beginning that you learned at the end of your last playthrough. You know, right? And I think the other thing that it has going for it is up to that time, and it, this may still hold true in the generation gap. I mean, we got Metroid Two in between Metroid and Super Metroid on NES. It may be the biggest overall upgrade from what the nes game was to what mm-hmm. the super nes game was because mario world is oh, yeah. a great game but it's really just kind of a slightly bumped up you know super mario 3 super metroid was a complete like improved everything that people didn't like about the original metroid in every way yeah, um, it was everything that we wanted the original Metroid to be. Like, oh, if only there was a map on screen. Oh, if only yeah. you had a better <laughs> sense of where you were. Uh, if there was some actual diversity between some of the areas and stuff like that. So, yeah, you're you're definitely right on there. Anything else from 94 stick out to you fellas for gaming? For gaming? Yeah, we, uh, what else I, I'm, I'm amazed that the NES was somehow still around. Uh, the last officially licensed NES game was published in North America. Can you guys guess what it was? Even though it's right here on the sheet, I did as well. Yeah, Wario's. Woods, oh, okay, yeah. Wario's Woods. Yeah, there. Uh, that was. It's um, it's not very fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it's not a very fun game. You heard it here, folks. Give a shout out for Trav. Uh, NBA Jam landed on home consoles Dude. at that point, and yes. that was uh, probably the biggest game of the year for me. Biggest uh, game of the so century. Let's be honest. Pretty yeah. good game. Uh, I got. I do have to shout out. I'm going to take this moment to shout out a pal um, who 
uh, a pal that has jumped into the Discord, he listens to all the podcasts, name's Matt Waters, goes by Muddy River 68 there on the old uh, Twitters, if you care. Uh, he recently went to a convention, I'm not even sure what convention it was, but uh, while he was there, uh, the guy that wrote the Boss Fight Books uh, entry about NBA Jam, Rayan Ali, and also Tim Kitzrow, the voice of NBA Jam, were there. And because I think in a recent Polykill I had talked up, I had played through the 2010 version of NBA Jam, I had read this book already, uh, and I was talking about it on the podcast, said like how much I loved NBA Jam, loved Tim Kitzrow being in there, all that stuff. Uh, Matt goes out, gets gets me some signed swag. So now I have the NBA Jam book uh, signed by Tim Kitzrow. It says, to Trav, he's on fire. It's also signed by Rayon Ali, and I have a picture of Tim Kitzrow in the booth doing the lines that also says, to Trav. From Tim Kitzrow. So how cool is that, guys? How jealous are you right now? That's pretty awesome. Razzle dazzle, fellas. Razzle dazzle. Man. Shaka laka. Travis and I you know, played some NBA Jam. We did. At, at Magfest. And I, I think those voiceovers, I mean, the game is great mechanically. I love everything about it, having the players and the teams, the music's fantastic. But I think if you don't have Tim Kitzrow in there dropping those lines, I don't think that game has the 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 shelf life and the like lasting impact culturally that it has. I mean, yeah. all of those, like he's on fire and boom, shakalaka, all that stuff yeah. has outlived yeah. the game to the point that it's become embedded in video game, um, you know, lore. It's, it's part of the fabric. So very cool. Thank you, Matt. And yeah, NBA Jam, some great games come out in 1994. I don't know if I could say that NBA Jam was my favorite, but it's damn close. Yeah. And I don't know anybody yeah. that didn't have it because it was on everything. And somebody yep. had some version of NBA Jam mm -hmm. everywhere. It was even on Game Boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also want to shout out quickly, just just very quickly, Donkey Kong Country was a big deal. I, I didn't really buy into the hype at the time. I didn't think it was that great. Uh, just uh, we know you hate it. Running gag with me at the time. I, I know. Right. It. It, you uh, hate it. Mortal every Kong time, every time you <laughs> see Donkey Kong, I see you, fucking, you ball up your fist. You're like, ah, this guy. Start sweating. <laughs> Steam comes out of my ears. <laughs> if he uh, even sees a donkey, he just punches it in the face. <laughs> yeah, like, you, can't just, even, you can't take this guy to a freaking petting zoo. This is insane. <laughs> oh god, that's uh, nothing but trouble. Uh, Mortal Kombat Two was also a huge deal. Yes, uh, seeing that in arcades was insane. Um, Sonic 3 on the Genesis, which later came later with uh, Sonic and Knuckles, which was a whole weird idea from... It's just classic Sega to make yeah. everything convoluted and weird and strange. Was that the year the 32X debuted? It might have been, yeah. Um, I don't think... Actually, that might have been the next year. But, Maybe. Um, it's a good question. We don't have I mean, all the answers here. Stein, all that Genesis stuff together. Yeah. So you'd have the yeah. Genesis with the CD next to it and the 32X with the Sonic and the Knuckles plugged in on top of each other. It's it's funny to see the different approaches of Sega and, and Super Nintendo in, in retrospect because Nintendo just put all their extra stuff in the cartridges themselves it, itself and then just charged extra. Like Star Fox, for example, with yeah. the Super FX chip uh, cost like 70 bucks. But Genesis, Sega was like, nope, we're, we're going to add all this extra crap to our, on the outside of our console, and so you can build this giant Tower of Terror uh, to be able to play Sonic and Knuckles, which, and, it, I, and I think that peripheral actually does work with Sonic 2, if I remember correctly. You, you can play through the levels with Knuckles. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it was kind of cool, but at the same time, it's like, 
why can't you just release a game like a normal person, a normal company? Well, you but, know, the um, first thing everyone did with that Ann Knuckles thing was just plug in every non-Sonic game they had to see <laughs> if it course. did anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you had to have like, you know, seven power bricks. And back in the day, it's not like everyone had, you know, big power strips like so ubiquitous now. So it's like, dang, man, I don't even know how to plug this into my wall. I'm going to get an extension cord so I can get my third power brick plugged in so I can have my 32X, my Genesis, and my Sega CD all operable. <laughs> you got a daisy chain of RF adapters. Oh, yeah. Behind the, the TV. Oh. Just yep. strung like 30 feet of RF adapters. Just, you had to hope that it stayed onto your TV. Ours would always come off. Yeah. Genesis was two and three, but the Super NES was three and four. You know, and you had to figure out which channel it worked best with. <laughs> you know, I get a lot of warm and fuzzies when we talk about the old days, but when you bring up RF switches, I uh, it's like PTSD. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm so <laughs> glad that I don't have to mess with that anymore. The first time I got an NES, I, we didn't have a TV that had RF. Like, I literally had a TV where I had to get the adapter where you had the two little the U-shaped prongs. prongs, and you had to screw those yeah. onto the back of the TV. Yep. I, my, my dad yeah. had a black and white TV that I, I ended up getting for my own room when I was like 15, 16, and I hooked it my any I first thing I did with my first paycheck at my first job was buy an NES at Funkle Land with a bunch of games. And uh, yeah, I had that same thing where it was just those two prong things. Our, mine was at the top with screws mm-hmm. to take a screwdriver, and it's just ridiculous. But you gotta go to Radio hey, Shack had, and get one. <laughs> yeah, I had black and white NES in my in my own room. I was excited. Man, I don't know if I played the NES on black and white. That's interesting. <laughs> All right, does uh, that round out games? Any other gaming shoutouts? You don't want to let those games feel like they didn't get shouted out. They'll be sad. Nah, eh, just Earthworm Jim. And it was uh, Wario Land when that came oh, out. Yeah. That was the first appearance <sighs> of Wario. Donkey Kong 94. Uh, I mean, I know you don't like donkeys or King Kong. Donkey Kong 94 may be my that, favorite Game Boy game, period. It's mine, for sure. I think we di- I think we did a Top 13 Handhelds episode on this here podcast, and I'm pretty sure we both settled on Donkey Kong 94 being pretty near the top, Alex. Yeah. Listen, the world moves fast. It seems like as soon as you beat a game, it's lost to time. No one to talk to about it, no credit, no one to even appreciate it on Twitter. Well, over on the Polykill Podcast, Trav and I aim to remedy all that by talking about the games we're playing, the games we're beating, and the games you are beating. So please head on over to polymedianetwork.com, check out Polykill, and maybe you'll be the next Polykiller. Okay, let's uh, let's crank out some emails real quick. Uh, the first one here is from Tyler. It's titled "The Angry Video Game Nerd and Bored James." Hello, Trava and Alex. And he would have said YouTube Burger. He didn't know. He says, uh, "I just started listening to your podcast a few months ago, and I really enjoy putting it on in the car when I drive to work." I've been trying to get more into playing retro games, having just acquired an NES and SNES, and both of your guys' channels are very informative for a guy like me looking to dive deep into both of those systems' libraries. That's great. Love to hear that. He says, uh, I have heard you guys mention James Rolfe as a dream guest and someone who you both admire, and as a massive AVGN fan, I gotta ask, 
What are your guys' favorite AVGN episodes? Some of my favorite AVGN episodes are probably the three Ghostbusters episodes, the four-part Castlevania marathon, and the Nintendo Power episode. I completely agree with Alex that AVGN is some of the best content on the internet, period. The nostalgia I have for his videos is unreal, especially since I was just a kid watching them. I'm an, and I'm only 23 now. Uh, being given unrestricted access as a kid sure is great. Also, what do you think about his Board James series? I just finished episode 90 and was shocked you guys didn't mention it to Kevin. I think it's some of James's best work. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day, and I'm sorry I didn't pretend to be some random 90s athlete. Maybe I'll go make a Patrick Ewing email account for next time. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tyler, a.k.a. Patrick Ewing. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, well, we're to start with that. Um, I guess favorite AVGN episodes. Alex, anything come to mind for you? Yeah, the one I really that makes me laugh the most is the one for Superman on the N sixty four. Just where where it's just I'll I'll give you one guess what comes next. More rings. It's, <laughs> that was kind of my first exposure to that game. I didn't know that game existed, so I was just in awe of how bad it was. Uh, anytime there there's there was an episode, uh, this would have been like 2010, 2011, like when I first discovered that his channel um that uh, a lot of those games i hadn't seen or heard of before but that one sticks out to me and i love him asking if he was playing a game that was disguised as some sort of insanity test as he puts it Mm -hmm. which cracks me up but uh yeah that's that's the one that sticks out to me and then he ends up launching the game into the sun as as one is wont to do naturally yeah i think my favorite and the one i usually share with people who uh, are like, what's this AVGN about? I always share with them the uh, Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero <laughs> one that he did. Uh, there, there are a few moments in that where it, it looks it looks painful as a viewer just to see what he's going through. Like every time he walks, these in, <laughs> these uh, things that you can't see on screen just come down and smash him and he's getting like, he's getting jostled back and forth and just the editing in that is what gets me because it's perfectly edited He's he's throwing his cuss words out there, doing his little tirade. Um, it gets me gets me belly laughing every single time. I, th- I think the payoff for that one is exacerbated by like the the beginning of that video is like this long tribute to his love for Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah. and like <laughs> where he was when Mortal Kombat came into his life and. He talks so fondly about it and how excited he was to have another Mortal Kombat game to play and then he just keeps getting smashed by the same pillar he tries 13 <laughs> different methods and gets smashed by the same pillar again and again and again. uh yeah it's good it's good stuff um do you, do you have a unique favorite burger i, I know that uh you've only kind of recently dove into the library but does anything stick out i mean that's that's the one i've liked the most of the ones i've watched i, I have a very limited I've, mm-hmm. I've only watched a few and i, I actually have really dove hard into like his James stuff more than his AVGN stuff, right? Like right. Reviews and things like that. That's the first one you shared with me, and that that still sticks with me because it's a Christmas episode too, right? Yeah, He's wearing a Santa hat the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it gets me. I'm, I'm in tears thinking about it. That's that's uh, that's so good. And when it comes to board James uh, and Alex, I, I don't know if you've dug in on those. I, I hadn't seen um, all, like all of them, but I remember that was back in the days when like Bootsy was still around, and they were. They were really intense. Like a lot of, uh, they had like their own fiction. Like they they played board yeah. games together and like had this whole 
whole thing going on and it was really well produced and i i it, it escaped my mind to mention it to to kevin uh i certainly will but um does anything stick out to you about the board james series well i just the fact that it's uh i like that he took the time to make it completely different than angry video game nerd where there's like this overarching story about this guy slowly going insane you know it's kind of like a horror theme mm-hmm. going on um yeah i thought that was really cool um i it's been a long time since i've seen any of those though so i'll have to go back and ch- and check some of those out again yeah this email kind of reminded me they exist so uh yeah i might i might start those <laughs> yeah up. same all right uh do you want to go ahead and take i can the get the next, next one all right we got recording structure from cross keller cross keller sounds like he'd be like a news anchor for like action news nine with cross keller dude it does uh we he says, howdy, fellas. I hope you're having a happy whatever day of the week it is. Thanks. I'm reaching out to ask more of a content creation question. For all of the games that both of you play, record, research, write, and edit for, how many of them do you have going on at once? Are you playing slash recording two or three games at a time and then editing one? Or do you just go balls to the wall with one game start to finish? Bonus question. How do you guys feel about Arch Manning? (laughs) All hype. The next Peyton. Texas was a horrible choice. Let me know. Thank you both for your daily entertainment. Cross Keller. Cross Keller. Uh, Well, good questions there. Alex, I think people are very interested in how you operate since you're extremely prolific. What do you got going on? Oh, I've got... um, Here, let me actually look at my folder here. Um, I have a really short attention span. Um, and one thing I love about uh, emulation is being able to zoom between like all sorts of different games uh, very, very quickly. Like Especially, um, I'm working on another ROM Hacks video, Super Nintendo ROM Hacks, as well as uh, Super Nintendo uh, improvement patches. And I love doing that because I'm able to just take an existing ROM that I have um copy the save states over and uh apply the patch to that game and see what happens sometimes it doesn't always work in fact more often than not it doesn't work but sometimes i'm able to like zoom through most of the game kind of hop around in different levels and see what happens like i love doing that with randomizers or with um a game like metroid uh there's so many metroid rom hacks out there but uh to answer the question, I'm always I've always got like a thousand things going on at once. At one point, a few, like about a month ago, it felt like I had like nine scripts that were <laughs> half written, and I just it's like uh, I'm not crazy about any of these games. I, I guess, uh, and then finally this this past September, I was able to sit down and and kind of bulldoze my way through a lot of those. So. Sometimes I have trouble focusing when it comes to uh, narrowing down just to one game. Um, I will say just what what I've been playing for fun the past uh, month or so is uh, Mario 3D World for the Switch. Um, and that's pretty fun. But that's just like I'm not playing that to be analytical about it mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm not jotting notes down. Uh, Bowser's Fury is what I've gotten into uh, next. That one's really awesome. So, yeah, I... I when it comes to just playing games for fun, I usually stick with one game till I finish it. But if it comes to like the channel, I'm all over the place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense uh, for some of the videos that you put together that are multiple games and 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, to stay on schedule. Yeah, you do you do a great job with that. I used to be a little bit more or- organized and I was like well ahead and I had you know, I'd have a script going for one, I was getting footage for another, I was kind of planning the next one. Uh lately, uh because you know, work's kind of caught up with me, life caught up. I joined an improv troupe, I do five podcasts, uh lots of other stuff. Now I'm just a video at a time. And so in that that's actually kind of refreshing for me now. I think uh when when things were starting to slip and having my hand in so many different pots, I was starting to get a bit overwhelmed by it. But now I'm like, okay, and next I'm going to do this game from start to end. And that's all I want to think about. And yeah. it's it slowed down the output, but I think it's made the quality a little bit better too. So uh, I'm kind of happy with, with where I'm at. But yeah, I'm I'm completely opposite of Alex right now. I am balls to the walls with one game start to finish at this point. Yeah, I will say a few years ago, I, I used to be used to work way 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 ahead I, at one point i was over two months ahead on the uh on, on my schedule mm-hmm. i would have videos uploaded ready to post on a specific day at a specific time every tuesday every thursday uh that has changed <laughs> yeah. because of the mostly because of combining working from home with uh uh the, the ch- all the channel stuff it's like i don't want to be at my desk anymore so yes um yeah, that's that's uh, changed my my perspective and how I how I work on the channel at this point. Now I treat it kind of like a newspaper writer, like on the Daily Beat, where it's like, okay, I got to crank through this uh, this this script here, and and you know, it's it's got the whole thing has to be done in one day. So it's like, okay, that's that's what I'm going to do. So that's that's what I did on uh, Monday with uh, Neugier. Am I saying that right? I think uh, it's the the video that uh, this on the SNES Drunk channel from this past Tuesday. So I gotcha. just said, and that helps that that's a really short game. So that wasn't that hard to write about or anything like that. So I like when you uh, flip yeah. over into your journalistic character. You you know you go into a different room, you switch glasses, and you say, "Now it's time for Cross Keller," and you write down, <laughs> write down. I your just game imagine stuff. him putting on like a brimmed hat with the little press card. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the in, the, in the ring on the top. Time to play Snatch, you see? continue, see? <laughs> Talks like Edward G. Robinson for some yep. reason. Yep. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. Name's Cross Callow. <laughs> all right, bonus question here, and this is this is for all of us, I guess. Uh, Arch Manning, you know, big, big high-profile quarterback coming up the ranks, obviously a descendant of the Manning quarterback uh hierarchy or whatever you want to say royalty at this point uh what do you think all hype what's going on with this kid i have no idea um i don't think texas was a horrible choice for him though because that guy's gonna get playing time sooner rather than later i mean who there's not exactly like a five-star kick-ass recruit in front of him that's right at texas and they're on their way to is it the sec yeah so he's going to have great competition there. So I don't blame him for picking Texas. Yeah. Well, I think same. sometimes you go to these uh, prestige schools and you get a little too much, you get a little too full of yourself, you know, and then yeah. when you go pro, there's a realization that even the worst team is better than the best team you ever played in college, you know, <laughs> That's right. and it's a big, you know, you get smacked down pretty easily if you get cocky. That's right. That's right. We'll have to see how it shakes out for him. But yeah, he's probably decent. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Hope hope the best for him, though. I mean, he's going to have the spotlight on him. It's not going to be easy to be him. 
it won't matter either way because he'll make more money off of insurance commercials with his family <laughs> or yeah. sports center commercials than he'll ever make doing anything else. So Yeah. Yeah. God, you, you just made me realize like, oh, we've got another fifteen years of Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, <laughs> and now Arch Manning. Yeah. Cooper Manning. Archie. Danny Manning. Archie Manning's still alive and on Archie Manning's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Old man. Yeah. All right. Last email here. And this one's pretty fitting. We can crank through it here. This will be our last one. TV theme songs. This comes from Sean. Hey, Alex and Trav. I have really enjoyed the 90s series you have been doing lately. It brings about so much nostalgia. And I'm already looking forward to some NHL 94 talk from Alex. Eddie Belfour Uh-oh. is overpowered. And that uh, would have... I should last mention episode. NHL 94. Yeah, yeah. I guess it would have been the last episode. Yeah. I think he mentioned it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Eddie Belfour overpowered. What do you think? He, Him and Patrick Waugh were the best goaltenders. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning goaltender in that game, Darren Pupa, because a slap shot from the blue line goal every time. Automatic. It was hilarious. I scored 53 goals in one game. Holy at one point shit. With, with the uh, St. Louis Blues with Brett Hall. So, yeah, shout out to that guy. But, yeah, Eddie Belfour was good. All right, there you go, Sean. He says, I thought of a topic recently that I wanted to email about, and it might be relevant to the 90s series. I was watching an episode of the original Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack on some stream on some streaming service, and I was absolutely blown away by the theme song. I do remember the theme song quite well from childhood, but hearing it again, well, it was way better than I remembered. Now, I don't want to make this sound like one of those back-in-my-day sort of emails, but... Back in my day, I feel like there was so much emphasis placed on a TV show's theme song which seemed to be lacking today. It was almost like having an incredible theme song was essential before they could consider airing the pilot. Some great original themes from the 80s and 90s that stick out to me are The Simpsons, Star Trek The Next Generation, Unsolved Mysteries, Knight Rider, not to mention kids' shows like Inspector Gadget, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Watching Nick at Night, once we had cable in 93, I was exposed to some great themes from older shows like Green Acres, Gilligan's Island, Twilight Zone, Get Smart, and The Munsters. I am curious to know your thoughts on the rich history of TV theme songs and some favorites you remember. I also highly recommend you listen to some of them on YouTube if it has been a few decades since you've last heard them. You might be surprised how well they hold up. Cheers, Sean. And Sean, thank you. That's that's a great email. It's a great question. And I don't think we could have had a better guest for this particular email and burger champ who seems to be just a library of knowledge, especially when it comes to theme songs. So I'm going to pass it to you, burger champ. Let me tell you about the rich history of theme songs. A lot of the theme songs you got back in the get smart monsters, uh, green acres was, um, because, uh, it was a transition time where radio was still pretty popular. TV was coming into its own, so a lot of these composers were working in radio and just moving to TV. It's why you have a lot of shows in the 50s and 60s where the the theme song is literally what happens on the show. Like Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Gilligan's Island, yep. <laughs> which had a different theme song for the pilot. Much worse. Almost three minutes long, the Gilligan's wow. Island original theme song. Um, but a, a lot of it was because people weren't used to television. And it was a transition period from radio to television. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the reason that you don't see a lot of the theme songs like you got in the 80s and 90s today is because you have more advertising and less television showtime. So, like, in the 80s and 90s, you had probably 
25, 26 minutes out of every half hour mm-hmm. of show. Now it's 22 or 23. So you take a show like The Office that has like literally a a 15 second intro song, basically, you know, or yeah. some of them just don't have intro songs at all nowadays. And it's because you don't have time. It's, it's where you, you'll see it a lot, especially with the Simpsons. You can tell how long an episode is going to be because they have a short intro. Yeah. And a long intro. Right. And if they don't have enough script to fill, then the couch gag is like two minutes. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So, a lot of it has to do with that, you know, and 70s, 80s, 90s was kind of the heyday where you had like more time per hour for your show and you had these guys that were like, that's what they did. They wrote the Magnum PI theme and the Rockford Files theme, you know, oh, Rockford Files theme. What a banger. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Alex, what about you? Anything stick out? Just uh, all the Saturday morning cartoon themes uh i i think there was less of an incentive to um explain what the show was at that point but it they i they still felt compelled i guess that's not true ninja turtles told you what the song what the what the show was yeah oh, that, repeating that song was written by chuck Lorre. did you know that <laughs> only you would know that so no i didn't <laughs> know that um no i didn't know that um but yeah, I guess now that I think of it, that that song does explain what the show is in detail. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I remember Muppet Babies, Garfield and Friends. Um, you know all those Denver the Last Dinosaur. Denver the Last. Oh my god. Um, Widget, remember that one? Widget the uh, World Watcher. World Watcher. Yep, that was another one that had a really painful theme song but um my favorite theme song of all time i I think of it at least once a week is sanford and son ah i don't know why yeah i that pops in my head every so often i don't know i think i just like the song that's all dude yeah that's 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 my favorite one of all yeah that one and night court are pretty yes mm, night court's pretty prolific childhood theme songs uh also in the heat of the night in the heat, oh, kills. Yes, that kills. show is great. It's a great show. And yep. I know this one doesn't really count, or maybe it does. But um, when too many cooks happened, like ten years ago, or how, <laughs> so how, whenever that was, that was amazing and also very on point of what '80s and '90s sitcom uh, stuff was. Uh, the intros were. And the fact that that one just keeps going and adds more and more people while having this guy, st- you know, just like killing people in the meantime, it's a genius <laughs> idea. But yeah, that that's another one that I think of every once in a while. <laughs> Too many cooks. And it's really wild to see, like you can kind of see where pop culture is as far as like retroism, I suppose you'd call it, because... There was a big 50s nostalgia in the late 70s and early 80s. So, like, yep. every cartoon theme song was, like, a doo-wop song from the 50s. Like, the ALF cartoon had a 50s doo-wop, you know, song. Hmm. And it, it was, like, this, this all this, like, sock hop crap. 
was <laughs> was like your popular theme songs. And then in the 90s, things got a little more 70s. And then yep. now we've looped back around and everything sounds 90s again with your TV theme songs. Yep. The people in charge are recreating what they grew up with. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. We and also you ha- you can't not mention the Friends theme song. That's um Oh, I hate that song. I know, yeah. but you you can't not mention it. It is like the thing that people think about when you say I mean, you could go nineties sitcom theme song. Quantum Leap and Golden and Girls. Guy that's a great theme song. That's Oh, um, Golden Girls. That's a banger. Classic. You know, and I do want to Sean here pointed out Unsolved Mysteries. You know, I went back a couple years ago, rewatched all those classic unsolved mysteries. That theme still I mean, I know it's overused, but it's it slaps, freaking slaps. <laughs> and a thing that that annoys me so much is, you know, they got the new Unsolved Mysteries that are now coming out on Netflix, uh, season every couple of years or whatever. And they did something to the music. I don't know if they just couldn't get the rights or if they just want it to be different. But they, I don't know, they, like the only word I could put, like they neutered it a little bit. Like it, it's missing, hmm. what, you know, it has like the same melody, but they took something out. And it annoys me so much. I need that 80s synth, like, I need all that. I was hoping you were going to say they, they did a dubstep remix of it. And that's the <laughs> new theme for it. I mean, for funsies, I'm down. But, I mean, if you're going to tie it to the show, come on, let's get real about it. But he, mentions, <laughs> he mentions the Twilight Zone. And I remember my my oldest daughter is very into the Twilight Zone. We... We, it's become a tradition where on New Year's Eve we watch Twilight Zone all day until the ball drops. And uh, so I remember sitting her down and being like, we're going to start watching Twilight Zone. Pick a season one episode. I'm like, this has such a bitchin' theme song. <laughs> and the theme song is totally different for the first two seasons. And I'm like, the shit is this? I want uh-huh. the do-do-do-do-do. Nope. It's just a bunch of harps, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. She's like, this theme song kind of sucks. It's just a guy talking over a bunch of harps. I'm like, just wait. One of these seasons, it's going to get really creepy. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if if it's like a thing where the guy that originally wrote the song still owns the rights to it or whatever and is holding out for like a gazillion dollars. Like, oh, if you want to use it, you got to give me $80 billion or whatever. Yeah, I think that was... a Simon and Simon had a different theme song every season, and I think that was part of it. <laughs> I just, I just re- remembered that show the other day. I was like, "Holy crap!" I did. Compl- this used to be on all the flipping time. But um, there's two other theme songs I got to uh, point out. One is Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna make it after all. That's great. That's, that that was one I heard all the time as a kid. Um, and of course, the Fresh Prince of oh, Bel Air. Yeah, duh. We the rap song yeah. that everyone in the world knows the ans- the, the yeah. words to. Yeah. Everyone knows the words. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Not everyone knows Fantastic Voyage, though. How cool am I? Huh? Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. Maybe if Coolio had had a show that wasn't. Wasn't he in one of those where they put celebrities together in a house and Vern Troy was in the I, corner? I want to say he was on one of the Rock of Love or maybe uh, Flavor of Love. Like he was on something like that. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up. Does anyone have any closing 1994 thoughts before we th- throw this year away? Move on. I'm dreading 95 because I remember not really liking 95 very much. But so I do. I bid adieu to 90. I've, I fond adieu to 
1994. Same here. Yeah, really enjoyed 94. Big music transition year where you're going to start transitioning out of the the good grunge stuff and the real pop stuff is going to start. Then you're, you're going to start getting in. like Dishwalla and Deep Blue something and, <laughs> and some Collective Soul. Collective Soul. Oh, <laughs> crap you hear while you're getting your teeth cleaned. Yeah, County Crows. I was looking forward to that. In 1996, for what it's worth, I was I was in a band in high school. I, well, I just graduated from high school. I was in a band, and we did open for POD. What? In 1996. Oh, wow. <laughs> Damn, that's cool. That is cool. I'm gonna tip my hat to you on that. That's pretty cool. We'll I have to remember to mention that for 96. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there you go. That is awesome. All right, well, at Burger Champ, thanks again for joining us, man. It was great to get your yeah, insight. thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're a hardcore 90s dude. Yeah, you embody the 90s. You have all of it kicking around in that melon, so we appreciate you coming on and hanging out. We'll have you back some other time, I'm sure. Uh, but that's going to be it for another Drug Friend Podcast. Please, everyone, head on over to thepolymedianetwork.com to find more of our podcasts. Uh, we're adding more all the time. Tis the season. Uh, it's like our, our sweeps season. We're just adding tons of shows. We got, uh, Tales, Polykill. We've got Point and Drink Adventure now with Petey and Pam. Uh, we've got Indie Quest. We've got Uncle Doug's DVD bin for movies here soon. We're going to be adding a Goosebumps podcast called We Got Goosebumps and maybe more. Who knows when we'll be done, but right now we're, we're adding a whole bunch. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, if you want to send an email and be cool like the folks, uh, who we read here, uh, earlier, you can send an email to drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you're not interested in sending an email, that's not a big deal. Just give us a rating and a review on a podcast app of your choice, and that'll help us out big time. And you can read on Spotify right now. I was going to skip that, but... Oh, well, yeah. you can do it, though. Don't don't, <laughs> don't not do it. Just do it. Uh, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Trav Plays Games. Alex, he's, of course, at Snestrunk. And the track you can hear right now, right now... Is com- was composed by our friend Coolor and is called Electric Starbound. So you can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page. And a shout out to Josh Leslie for our thirst quenching logo. Wow, we're like two in a row, two in a row, pretty good. Be sure to be sure to catch us all on YouTube. And thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Uh-huh.